Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi Gina. Hi Ioni. Hi everyone. I'm Gina, the senior editor of Polyester. And I'm Ioni, the founding editor-in-chief of Polyester, and this is the Polyester Podcast, a feminist pop culture podcast dissecting the discourse on a weekly basis. Before we start, if you're a fan of this podcast, please make sure to like, rate and subscribe. And if you really love us, you can sign up for a podcast membership where you can join our Discord and get on our Instagram close friends for only three quid a month. Do we have any reviews, Aoni? We do. This one is five stars refreshing. I love this podcast. I really enjoy the topics and discourse and the way everything covered is so enjoyable and silly. It warms my heart that someone cares about speaking to the crap in the world that we deserve better than but still sounds like sitting in on a conversation with great friends. That is by Maura410 in the USA. Thank you. That is so lovely. Thank you so, so much. Very, very nice. Very, very kind. What are we doing today, G? We're talking about, we're continuing our film podcast apparently. Um, <laughs> we're talking about poor things. Everyone be warned. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh God, I can't even express how little I'm looking forward to sharing this on social media. I can't be the villain of the internet again. <laughs> please don't give us two million views, please. Um, so this is obviously going to have loads of spoilers for poor things, which you should go and see. Um, or if you don't care, just listen to it anyway and then go and see it. I feel like most people know the plot anyway now. Like, I don't really feel like it's a twisty, turny film in the same way Salt Burners. Also, people are so funny. Like, so many people to me were like, oh... I listened to your podcast episode, then I went to go see Saltburn. I was like, that's in- deranged. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I do the same though for season. This is like, spoiler warning. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Read it immediately. So, Poor Things is the latest film by Yorgos Lanthimos. Is that how you say it? Lanthimos? I have no idea. I know Yorgos. I don't know Lan... I was just going to say Yorgos the whole episode. I had this dilemma in my head. I was like, I'll just say Yorgos. <laughs> oh, great. Um, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, William Defoe. Uh, it, always ha- it also has Margaret Qualley in it. And the other Batman, which I can't remember his name. And there's also Charlie from Girls in it. Lol. Poor Things follows Emma Stone, who plays a character called Bella Baxter. Basically, okay, it's not even a spoiler. Like, I feel like everyone knows it's like a Frankenstein-esque tale. But okay. William Defoe plays like a scientist character, like someone in one of the reviews I read, I think it was the Lit Hub one, said that it really reminded them, like his character really reminded them of the mad scientist in Nightmare Before Christmas, which is so true. <laughs> this film is basically <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. So he plays like a scientist who like likes to do, what's the word, like 
strange medicine, like make a chicken dog or like make a two animals, put them together, kind of like unscientific science. Yeah, very steampunk Frankenstein, basically. Yeah, the aesthetic is very steampunk. It's vaguely set in like Victoriana, London, which is something we will come to later in the podcast. Emma Stone is basically also trigger warning for this episode. Like there's quite a lot of triggers in the film, like suicide, sex stuff, um, sex work, mental health, illness, like disability. I think we're going to discuss in this. So just an overview. It's a pretty loaded film in terms of societal topics. So William Defoe finds Emma Stone's character when she's just jumped off the Thames and is obviously trying to take her own life. And then he finds her and takes her back to his lab and she's pregnant. So she take, he takes, sorry, I don't know why I'm messing this up so much. He takes the baby's brain and puts it in the grown woman's body and then kind of like resuscitates the grown woman. And thus Bella Baxter is born. She's a baby who is in an adult's body. Yeah. Correct. And the, yeah. And then the, the story of the film kind of follows her. She matures into an adult mentally. She's already physically there and kind of poses the question of whether it's experience that gets you to that point or if it's like genuinely just aging, I suppose. Yeah. One of the, I think it was the Lit Hub article again, which I'll just name. So. It is poor things is a, oh, I can't, I can't say one of the words in this title. Poor things is a curious fanta, fanta, phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria by Olivia Ruti Glan. Why can't I speak today? Go on. <laughs> Olivia Ruti Gelanio for Lit Hub. Yeah, she basically, I can't even remember my point now because I fucked the fucking pronunciation so much. It was, she was trying to say the same thing. Like, it's kind of like how experience shapes your maturity, I suppose. Yeah, it's like whether it's nature versus nurture. So we had covered poor things before we saw it. We're not being bad journalists. It came out in America like three months before it came out here. When I was in London, when I was in London, I live in London. When I was in New York before Christmas, I think it came out then. So like early December and it didn't come out here till mid-January. So we had an interview on the site with the costume designer, Hannah, what's her name? Holly Waddington. Holly, great. I'm really, really doing well today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we put it on Instagram and there was like a reel and there was also a grid post and people were really unhappy with us. Gina, would you like to speak through some of the criticism we received? I don't know, you were kind of a bit more in the trenches of it. People were trying to be like, this film is sexist, there's too much sex in it, This it's about a woman getting abused, but a woman being taken advantage of, it's about an autistic woman, it's about all these things, and obviously we couldn't really speak on it because we hadn't seen it, but it definitely influenced us going into the screening, I think, of watching the film, which actually shows we're great journalists, because we were like, we're probably going to hate this film, let's go see it. Yeah, it's true, we spent our hard-earned cash, didn't even expense it. One of the comments was, now this movie was fucked completely ableist and promoting the grooming of intellectually disabled people, or you could argue even children, you can't slap a puffy sleeve and fisheye effect on it, then call it art. And there was quite a few similar things. This movie was created by a man and fetishizes the manic pixie dream girl, but actually just autistic woman. There were some parts of it where it almost hit the mark, but then it just went right over. The aesthetics were cool and so were the costumes, but the message was not liberating or whatever some people are perceiving it as. 
Big pro- another comment. Big problem I'm seeing, reading and hearing movies written by men. Men don't seem to understand the spirit and depth of a woman or the experiences. How could they? Does a writer even consult a woman for a film like this? You'd think that they would, or you'd hope. Also, maybe this film makes some people or women feel seen slash understood, not here to judge, but certainly here to observe. God. And then someone said, your keyboard warrior's just mad because Bella's dance was far cooler than Wednesday's. <laughs> True. <laughs> Wednesday's dance. Oh, that was such a low point of 2023 in a year of many low points. I know, I, I remember I was like deep in like the throes of a hangover and my partner started watching it and then I fell asleep and then I woke back up and it was still on and <laughs> someone was a werewolf and like loads of weird shit was going on and there was like a glowing, I was like, why Fred Armisen had turned up? I was going, for fuck's sake, <laughs> let me enjoy my hangover. So I want to start first off by saying that we liked the film, very much so, but I think that I have, I can't speak for Gina, a... Like, I think I've thought about it enough to know that I actually like it. <laughs> I have also thought, <laughs> process my thoughts, and yes, I think I do generally like it. No, because I feel like when we post this, people are maybe going to be like, oh, you just haven't, like, researched it enough, or, like, you don't understand this angle. So we're going to go into, like, some of the common criticisms of the film and talk about them and why. So one of the first things that people complain about is sex. So (laughs) this just sounds like we're being paid by like fucking whoever's distributed this film to be like, we like this film. We haven't. I'd love if they bloody did. Please do. Um, (laughs) Like I genuinely, I feel like I haven't left the cinema in ages with a film that has like made me think for days afterwards and not in a negative way. Like Saltburn, I feel like it was forced upon me. I was afraid I just didn't like it. And like, if people weren't talking about it, I wouldn't have thought about it beyond leaving the cinema. Films that I have liked, like Bones and all, I was just like, that's a great film. I wasn't left kind of like thinking about it afterwards or all the different readings of it and stuff. Whereas I feel for this one, I have been. Yeah, I mean, I think it also is one of the first movies I think I've seen in the cinema for a while that that has a depth to it that leaves you thinking, but also just left me, like, happy. Like, I think so many films that have depth to them... I'm not that films aren't shallow, I mean that I just went to see Willy Wonka and I liked it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, films like that usually leave you feeling, like, a bit sad about the state of the world, I feel. Whereas I kind of came out of this film with, like, a happiness about me. It was very uplifting, I would say, or, like, the wonders of the world were in full effect. Yeah, when she runs off and eats loads of tarts. Gorgeous. So this film has kind of been touted as like a sex-positive feminist fable, which me and Gina said as soon as we left the cinema that it was really interesting because I feel like even though there is a lot of sex and lots of different types of sex, I wouldn't say the sex is like what the film is about, personally. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it is a bit reductive to diminish it just to having loads of shagging in. It's kind of like that puritanical argument at the minute of people being like, there shouldn't be sex in films, like, by reducing it only to the sex in the film. Like, it's just like you wouldn't reduce your life to just the sex you're having. Yeah, 100%. And I don't think the film does that either. Like, there is a lot of sex. So one of the main plot points is that she is obviously this kind of like in her infant phase and she discovers masturbation it's like whoa the whole world is unlocked before her eyes and then William Defoe who is her dad his name is God in the film Godwin is short for but she calls him God which obviously has like lots of loaded context and then Max who is like this doctor that's hired to monitor Bella and monitor her growth both kind of have this like weird conversation where 
God asks Max to marry her because he wants to like retain control over her and they both admit to having like some sexual desire towards her even though they know she's a child. And then the film goes on to these, I would explain as like a series of events of like how men try to control women. Like I feel like sex is used as a device. No, sex is used as sex because, well, what we said is like that's how women would have sex if they didn't know anything about how men treat women in the world. Like if you were born unsocialized, well, if I was born unsocialized, but as in if you had your puberty when you had no other thoughts of the world in your head, that is probably how you'd approach your sex life. It is how I approached men, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like that bit in Juno where she's like stood in like wherever and she's like, wow, dicks everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's just that again, it's just that she's in like an adult body. So it's kind of talking about how like men, I think it's a criticism of the way that men see female sexuality from such a young age. Yeah, I think. And also I feel like that's where everyone has gotten this like born yesterday trope. Obviously it is born yesterday, like, and like sexy adult baby, but. I don't know if my reading of the film is too generous, but I've just really read it as all of the men, whether it's Mark Ruffalo being this like cad that takes her away when he clearly only wants to use her or William Dafoe being his dad that clearly wants to control her because he created her or this doctor who is more well-meaning, but still eventually just wants ownership over her. I feel like they're all presented as being really slimy. Like I don't think it was being presented for men to watch and go like, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is a critique of the way that men take advantage of women, especially younger women, rather than being like, oh, four lads, wouldn't it be great if we just had a girl with a baby brain? Like, it's just not... <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's, it's a misunderstanding of, of that. And I also think at a young age, women, and probably boys too, like, have sexual feelings and do sexual acts without necessarily knowing what that it is sexual. It's like when you learn late, she learns that masturbation isn't done in polite society. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I don't know, like, oh, let me try and get to my point. I think masturbation isn't done in polite society, but, like, if it was allowed, we'd all just be wanking on the bus. Um. <laughs> okay, so one piece of the research was I read like Sight and Sound did a really big piece on poor things by Nicole Flattery. The article is called The Power of Freedom is a Scary Thing to People at Times. Yorgos Lanthimos on Poor Things. One of the quotes is, there's been a morally conservative debate lately about the point of sex scenes on screens. Poor Things is a good illustration of why they should exist because they're filthy, joyous and occasionally funny. They illuminate something strange and sad about human experience. Lanthimos has always made sex strange and then it lists a few things. But then it says, I found this approach notably fresh and sex positive, a respite from the trauma narratives that have dominated the last decade. Bella has no interest in feminine self-sacrifice like a greedy kid in a candy shop, which I feel like represents it best. Like you never really, even in some of the bad moments, like, our friend Daisy wrote about this for GQ in Poor Things, Bad Sex Keeps Coming. Like there's a part where Bella is working at a brothel and she experiences like sex that is not of her choosing, I suppose. Like she does still consent because she's working, but as in like she has sex that is bad and she's never had bad sex before really. And, but she still is still not presented as overly raw and like overly sad and like, the moral turning point of the film is when she realizes that there is like poverty in the world and like discrimination and all of this kind of stuff, not when she has really bad sex, which I think is interesting too. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, there's a bit in the research, I can't remember who said it, it's like it's a misunderstanding of the film to read it through a feminist, like, sex-positive lens. It's more of a film about privilege. And then when I read that, my brain was going... It kind of like just connected all my synapses and made me realize like that's also what I took away from the film. Like I think it's like a coming of age film for sure, and I also think that it is about privilege. Like you left a note being like, it's interesting because if she hadn't been born to like this wealthy doctor and then whisked away by this seemingly wealthy man for this wealthy lifestyle, she would have just been locked up. Well, yeah, I was speaking to because obviously there's been a lot of discussion, which kind of I think we've covered sex and feminism in one like I wouldn't really say that I think this is a feminist film because it just shows a female character completely uninhibited and it doesn't really apply morals to her like she's not coded as good or bad she's and until there's a turning point in the film in which she wants to be and like at every point she doesn't necessarily make the right decision she makes the decision she wants to to expand her world like when she runs off with her ex-husband like the husband she originally had before she was Bella it's kind of hard to like explain she continues to make those decisions because she just wants all of these experiences rather than being like I want to do this because of this like I would say it's definitely a political film and it has lots of readings but obviously one of them is the like Bella is autistic lens and like or Bella this is a crip film you should read this through crip theory or like this is damaging to people that have like mental disability etc I think there's like a few things that I have about this and I was talking to my friend about it yesterday a lot who also is like you know not abled and we came at it from two slightly different points which I thought was interesting as well but my overall point I actually wrote in my notes because I knew I wouldn't remember it properly I think in general looking at films through the lens of experiences or marginalizations is an interesting thing to do. Like, for example, I find it like a fun intellectual pursuit or whatever without trying to be like 
poncy about it to be like oh well what does that mean like how is this disability coded or whatever but I kind of really hate the trend of like people on Twitter or people on Instagram being like Bella is obviously autistic it's like because that's not actually said in the source material anywhere and whether you consider like the actual circumstances of the situation of which like a baby born in an adult body as a disability yes it probably is but like I think to ascribe to ascribe diagnoses to someone who doesn't have a diagnosis I feel like it's just like an inaccurate reading and not yeah I don't know if it's necessarily inaccurate I think it's deeply personal like if you are an autistic woman and you watch this film and you go I relate to her and I find that hard fair enough like that's your personal understanding mm-hmm. of and your personal reading of a film and I can't argue with you about that I can argue if you say that this is reflective of all autistic women or this is reflective of all people with a disability this is how we are all treated this is how we are all perceived I think if you find yourself relating to a character because of something that is maybe subtext or context then it can't be described as the as a resolute fact also not to be like this is a woman thing but this film is very clearly like a fantasy film that has lots of like relevant themes like there's a quote that I highlighted in the sight and sound interview which says period films can and should be very modern like Yorgos said that so like he's clearly trying to make points about the society we live in but I also equally feel like people don't watch Lord of the Rings or Batman and go like Batman is ADHD coded do you know what I mean like I mean they do (laughs) I don't think they do (laughs) I'd like to introduce you to Tumblr.com. Yeah, you have more experience in this, I suppose. But I don't know. I just find it like less in like less intellectually rigorous than actually talking about like how we can read the film through certain lenses without necessarily like mapping a stance on it. Like people saying, oh, the filmmaker is directly being ableist. It's like, yeah, there are definitely ableist elements. Like, they say the R word in this film basically within the first 10 minutes, which seems to be for no reason other than to shock the audience. And that's, like, entirely unacceptable. But apart from that, I don't know. So my reading of this is, like, a disability film is basically what Gina already said, but I actually thought of it before I did the research, just saying. I feel like it could be presented as a fable about like how people could live in the world who have disability or neurodivergence if they have little to no medical intervention. The friend I was speaking to is like really big into mad theory and stuff like that, which I'm not necessarily completely au fait with, but I think I know enough. So it's like basically Bella gets to move through the world exactly how she wants, despite obviously being very different to the people around her. Like she pisses herself right at the beginning of the film. She can't walk properly. Her speech is like kind of stunted at the beginning until she like gains proper handle on how you'd speak, just like a child would. And I thought it was really interesting to think about the reasons why she could move through that world so easily. Like there's a bit where she's having dinner with Mark Ruffalo and his like two friends and they're all a part of like high society. And she's saying embarrassing things, but because they're rich people, they don't really go, what the fuck are you saying? They're just like, oh, and have like an awkward look about them. I think that says more to like how privileged people can move through the world with difference, like with all types of differences. But in this, like if you want to read it through a lens of disability and neurodivergence, I think that's a good way to do it. Whereas 
for example, Mark Ruffalo eventually loses his mind and we see him in his final, not in his final scene, actually, in one of the final scenes in an institution. But him being an institution also directly correlates to the fact that he lost all his money while he was on these like japes of Bella, like he goes broke. Bella has money, so she gets to move through the world being like, quote unquote, mad. Mark Ruffalo loses it, so he ends up institutionalized. So I think there's like a quick reading in there of how we treat people in regards to wealth, disability, neurodivergence. That isn't saying it's ableist. I think it's a very valid and interesting lens to put on it. Yeah, I think you've put that perfectly. And I don't think I'm really in the position to overly comment on this topic. Shut up. You can say what you think. Well, I agree with you is what I mean. I don't have anything to add. But then there was this Reddit thread that was saying, like, are people missing the point of poor things or am I? It was on the True Film subreddit. And someone commented saying, you said that the film fails when it is about female empowerment. When you criticised its failure, you identified a much more prominent and sensible theme. The Emma Stone's character is allowed to be naive and somehow still survive in a world in which most women would be punished and relegated for far less. If you switch off the female empowerment lens and switch on the empowerment for money lens, it makes a lot more sense. Take, for instance, the scene in Alexandria. It makes zero sense from the perspective of female empowerment and literally can only exist to hammer home the idea that the film is about the empowerment of money, which is what you basically just said. I think it's like a big film that makes like a lot of sweeping statements. Like, for example, when she is working, she is a sex worker. She says something about like, we are our own own means of production, which is like a bit of like a throwaway Barbie type line. But I think it earns its big swings. Yeah, and I think what it's really made me do is made me want to read the book because even in your research it says, like, the book goes into the disparity of wealth a lot more. It goes into um, maybe, like, the meaning behind some of the um, sex scenes and stuff like that. And I think that it has made me want to sit down and read the book because at the end of the day, like, a film's only got a certain amount of time, even though all films are three hours long now, <laughs> to, to make points that are so much easier to translate in a literary form and it kind of this kind of moves us on to like the next point that we wanted to discuss is that the film has been moved out of the setting of Glasgow in the book and into the setting of London and also Europe well I assume it goes to Europe in the book yeah like neither of us have read the book and also I think it's fine that we haven't um even though we want to like it sounds like yeah but as in like I feel like we're not badly researched because we haven't been able to read the book in five days um so (laughs) there's been like a lot of criticism for the fact that they have moved it because apparently a lot of the book is about like Scottish socialism and like Scotland as like an independent nation and all of this stuff and Yorgos has been asked about it and he said, well, I think Alastair probably wouldn't be very happy about that because he is a very proud Scotsman. We give Godwin some of his character in a Scottish accent. Alastair was a great inspiration for Willem Dafoe as a presence. So we felt that through him. Once we decided that the point of view of the film was going to be Bella's and it was going to be her story and her journey and working with an American cast, it just made more sense to contract things. And then also the writer said why they changed the ending, but the quote like doesn't really make that much sense. So I'm not going to read it, but it sounds like Charlie from Girls isn't in the book. The book sounds like very different. I think it's written all from the men's perspective. So it's like there's this whole thing of like unreliable narrators, which I think the film is solely from... Emma Stone slash Bella's point of view, I think that's something that makes it so interesting. And that also, I'm not saying the book doesn't do this, but I think on a camera, it decenters the men. I think that's one of the reasons it's effective. 
as like not a sexist horrible tale because they are just kind of incidental to her like it's about how she interacts with them not about the way they interact with her yeah definitely and I think it does boil down a lot to Emma's performance as well like she does a fucking blinder in this yeah she's really good and I thought I'd hate it especially when I found out she'd be playing a baby I was like oh my god this is gonna be like absolute hell like I don't want to watch a grown woman walking around going goo goo gaga but it wasn't like that at all no, she she's incredible in it, and I think before we dive into Glasgow, the, one of the comments we got in the Holly Waddington reel being like, why have men made this film? But then in your research, it's like Emma produced it. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of say over the character. She wrote, she didn't write the script, but she like um, basically like changed the way that like the story was going to be told through. Collaborating with Yorgos, yeah. who is someone who also admits it, he's like the I'm just putting the film together. Like the actors are the ones delivering, yeah, like a ring the master. Work. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is as much an attribute to Emma Stone, and I think it it shows again. Like people are like, well, it's got a man's name on it, so no women were involved. It's like diminishing Emma's work entirely. I agree, and I also think that. It's kind of just like, I feel like the book is so important in its own right. And it feels like the book has lots of, it's way more politically involved. So apparently one of the book's central themes is reproductive rights, the discomfort that God feels over female agency, wanting to effectively take them out of the equation of reproduction is one of the book's main points. It ends with Bella becoming a doctor explicitly to provide contraceptive and reproductive care to women and particularly poor women. She comes from wealth, goes back to the margins and stays there. In the film, she inherits Godwin's gigantic house, becomes a doctor, and it's just just because it's cool and lives the life of a rich person with some other gals she's met on the way. This is also a Reddit post, by the way. Alistair Gay would gray, gay. Would have hated poor things, and I think that's important. It's another Reddit post on our true film. And I think that's really true. But I also think it doesn't take away from the film being a successful piece of media in and of itself. Like, I felt this conversation feels a bit like when we were all pissed off that, like, the house elves storyline was left out of Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, like, there's only a limited amount of time and also a limited way of storytelling. Like, sometimes you read a book and you're like, there's no fucking way you'd be able to put that on screen. Like, like it's someone's thoughts or, like, someone's, like, ideas of, like, why they do things and make certain decisions. And I think, like, if it had been touched on really lightly about to be about reproductive rights and then taking away, it would have been more... It would have been way more annoying um, than to just kind of focus on different themes within the film. And Yorgos says it again in the, that interview, being like, we had to pick what themes we wanted to hone in on. And the the wonderment of a woman, well, a girl turned into a woman in this way was the main theme that I wanted to explore as a director. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. I would say, like, people just see it because I think having a strong opinion to it. And also, Yorgos says that himself. I can't find the exact quote but there's a quote where he's basically like all I can ask for is for people to watch the films and to have feelings about them and that's all I want so I think it's like he's not even trying to tell you what to think about it yeah I think like loads of his other films are quite dark and like have like horrible endings and like aren't really like have as hopeful and I think that's probably throwing people off as well like he's just done like a film that's got like joy and hope in it especially at the end and it's not left on a sour note and that's probably throwing people off. The quote is from the Sight and Sound article and it says, and he says, it has a lot to do with the specific experiences of every individual that watches my films. There are all these different layers in my films and they're funny, but they're also quite dark. 
The tricky thing about them is that there isn't a scientific method, especially if you're trying to create something which is complex and complicated, which I think we're always striving to. You must allow the space for each person to come in with their own personality to experience the film in a different way, and it's the best you can hope for. Therefore, I think that relates to the disability um, readings that you were touching on before, like that it's a, that's an individual experience, and yeah. Did you want to mention the raffle? Oh yeah, we have a raffle for Eden. <laughs> Um, there's so many good prizes so you should go enter it yeah we'll put the link in the bio and it's got more information about why we're running the raffle and about Eden's legacy yeah alright love you lots love you bye bye This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.